Revelation 21, I'll just read verses 1 and 2 as I went through the whole chapter last week, and uh, we'll start to discuss some of the unique features of heaven as I started the sermon on heaven. It will probably run uh, definitely next week, but maybe even a week after that too. Uh, I'm just going to make, make some comments on verses 1 and 2 tonight, but let's go to our text. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepare as a bride, adorned for a husband. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for just uh, the uniqueness of your word. Because it speaks softly at times. And other times it's like a trumpet sound in our heart, Father God. And only those who are born again, Lord God, by your spirit can hear the sweet voice of Almighty God. Speaking tenderly to his children as a shepherd speaks to his sheep. We thank you, O oh God, that you know each one of us by name. You are intimately acquainted with all our ways. You tenderly and with tender mercies deal with our weaknesses and our failures and our failings in life, Father God. You never quench us, Father God. You never step on us. You're always encouraging, always edifying. Even when you rebuke us, and even when you instruct us, Father God, it's so that we would bear the Righteous fruit, Father God, of your character in our life. Who are you, God? Who is this God of grace and mercy that adorns us, sinners, as the bride of Christ? Who are you, God? What is this gospel? What is this strange noise, Father God, that we hear that ticks in our heart? Loved by God. Loved by God. Bless the Son of the in Jesus' name. We spoke last week, we began to speak last week on heaven, and uh, we spent a considerable amount of time on what heaven is, but also what heaven is not. And it's important that we understand these truths, because if we don't, then we'll make heaven what? Whatever we want. It's the natural inclination of the human heart to make heaven, along with God himself, whatever we want, whatever sounds good, whatever feels good. And we've heard the expression, that's not my God, that doesn't feel like God. And we try to feel our way through understanding when it comes to God. It's, it's an impossibility. It leads you down a dead end. Uh, for there is a way that's, that seems right to man, but in the end, Proverbs says, it leads to death. And we spoke about what heaven is not. And, and whatever we think about heaven, if it's not biblically informed, it will be wrong. Again, if it's not biblically formed, if our thoughts of heaven are saturated and grounded in the revelation of Scripture, you cannot even possibly get close to what heaven is. We're not going to stumble upon a right view. Science will not take us into the depth of heaven. Neither will someone's dreams and visions or near-death experiences, no matter how well they sound and how warm they make us feel. You're not going to find heaven in Reader's Digest. You're not going to find it on uh, the bestseller uh, times list. You're going to find it in the scriptures. A gentleman came up to me the other day because you have to read this book. And I just preached on this list because you have to read this book. And it's, it's about the child, of course, the pastor's son that went to heaven. He goes, this would be good for you. <laughs> I guess maybe he knows something I don't. I said, I got a better book. He goes, what is it? I said, it's the New Testament. 
I said, you do well to read it and reread it and study it and believe its truths. And he looked at me like, oh, okay. But this is what's out there. It made him feel good. And I'm a pastor, so read it. But this is what's out there. The world we live in is heaven hungry. As I went through uh, Google last week, and we show all the books on heaven and the afterlife, and people's thoughts and dreams and visions, and you know, it, it, there's nothing comes close to what it really is at all. Uh, and, and, and so we, we have to sort through these kind of things because if not, we can come up. Uh, the Mormons come up with their polygamous fantasies. Uh, Islam comes up with its sensual pleasures. Uh, the Buddhist has it, the annihilation of self in nirvana. Uh, the New Age people, like, uh, they have a hope to be God-likeness. And, but what does that mean? They don't even know what God-likeness is, but they're going to be like that. And it's, it's just kind of mystery kind of stuff, you know? And, uh, it's, and we even spoke about our own narrow hopes and dreams of just sort of just, you know, how it applies to my personal life, whether it's my dead deceased ones or friends and family and relatives. And, and we try to conceptualize heaven and throughout my own personal experience on earth. And we're missing the whole point. Just we miss the whole point. Heaven, according to these misinformed notions, are really never more than some kind of personal selfish contamination of what heaven really is and the hope it's supposed to bring us. If our thoughts of heaven aren't really bringing me great joy and hope and, and getting me to live the Christian life, then we have to rethink. So, as I said last week, so to speak, we need to rescue God's true heaven from these false notions and whimsical notions of the unconverted and sometimes even our own misinformed uh, understanding of heaven. But what it is, when John says, uh, and then I saw, and then I saw, and that's a biblical uh, uh, equation, how, especially the book of Revelation says it over 40 times, and then I saw, it's a revelation. John is saying, then I saw something that God doesn't show to me I could never see. It's beyond my capacity to see it. So God revealed it to me and I saw it. I saw the clarity of it. I saw the definition of it. I saw the reality of it. And and, and everything in it was about God. It was about the Lamb. And it was about the redeemed. And it was about eternity. It was about the Spirit of God. It was about the Word of God. It was about truth. That's what heaven is. It's interesting to say that John was nowhere in the equation. His heaven wasn't about his personal being. It was about his Lord. It was about his Savior. It was about his brothers and sisters in Christ. It has to be revealed by God. We can believe that it exists, but that is about it. Anything after that is a a perversion of it or just whimsical notions. The revelation of it is meant to give hope. And please understand this. Chapter 21 only follows chapter 20, which follows chapter 19. And you can do the math, goes all the way back to chapter 1. And if you understand biblical revelation, uh, revelation is the last book in the, in the canon of the scripture out of 66 books. It's revelation that finally puts the stamp of approval on what God did in the garden in chapter 1, 2, in the beginning of 3, when God walked with Adam and Eve, but they did the unthinkable, and they ate, even though God provided every good and perfect gift to eat from, you can eat from all the trees of the garden. I'm a magnanimous God, I'm a generous God, I'm a caring God. You can feast on a trillion trees, just don't eat from the one. And what did they do? 
they ate from the one. And everything else in the Bible is to get us back to the garden with God and fellowship. And we see that in this chapter. This hope that's left before us, and before I get into the text tonight, I want to speak about what we spoke about last week, just for a moment here. As we go into Hebrews, it was a future hope for God's people who, who, who pilgrim through this world. It's for those who seek something greater, because if you're born again, understand something. Unless you're fully saturated with God, you can never be satisfied. I can never be satisfied. I walk close with God. I love the Lord. But you know something? I just see too much inconsistency. You know where? In my own heart. I don't have to look to TV. I, I got the own curveballs in my own life that let me down. I, I want something more. And, and then the Bible holds out something greater for all of us. This is the hope. The hope of glory, Christ. And listen to the way the writer of Hebrews says it, starting in, in the 11th chapter, starting in the 8th verse. I'm actually going to skip verses uh, uh, 12, 11 and 12. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. That's what faith does. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, as with him in the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them from and greeted them from afar, that's by faith, and have acknowledged that there were strangers and exiles on this earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. For if they had been thinking about the land from which they had gone out, that's this earth, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This has been the testimony of all true believers over the centuries. They're seeking something better, a city, a foundation that's made by God himself. It can't be destroyed. It can't be attacked. There's no sin in it. There's no imperfection in it. There's no tears in it. There's no pain in it. There's no hunger in it. How's that sound? It better sound good to you. Otherwise, we're still back home in this land. Something has to sound greater, and this is what the testimony is. God puts heaven in our heart. He puts heaven in our heart. All you have to do is be a Christian long enough in this world, live in the inconsistencies of your own life, and you cry yourself to sleep a couple of nights a week. Understand that there has to be more to this world. Even when you're walking close to God, and hopefully we all are, people let us down. Loved ones let us down. The church can let us down. Pastors let us down. Ministers let us down. Politicians let us down. Our children, our mothers, our fathers, people let us down. So our own personal happiness many times is, is dependent on what? Sinners. And guess what they do? They let us down. I say all that because there's something greater. This brings us to the message tonight, the unique characteristics of heaven as portrayed in these chapters. Uh, I'm not going to get through, I'm just going to spend time on verse 2 today. It won't be a long message, but I just wanna, don't want to miss what verse 2 says. I really don't want to miss it. And what we have here is a theology written in stone. It's written in, <coughs> excuse me, gold and color. This extreme symbo- extremely symbolic, uh, a bride, Prepared by God. Now what does this all mean? 
But if it's followed right, it will give us great insights, not just a heavenly home, but how we should wait now. What is the exercise of faith? Is the exercise of faith just believing? Is that it? Are we living faith out? Faith is a, a dynamic that's alive in us. It's, it makes us something. It creates us to be something. But before we move through it, I, I must encourage us all that what's represented here in these, in these next two chapters, what's represented in its final form, all right, you with me? You follow me? Amen. Okay. What's represented in its final form is already at work in the Christian church. We'll make that clear tonight. Hopefully you will see something you've never seen before. Or even better, I hope you just confirm with something you already know. As Paul says, that famous verse of scripture, I am, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work will complete it on the day of who? Philippians 1.6. We know that, don't we? We understand something. Remember what we just read? The bride coming down? That's it. That's the fulfillment of Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work, right? You with me? Will complete it. And you're supposed to say, well, what does it look like? Like a bride. Prepared by God. For her husband. That's the finished product. This is the completion. It's part of a universal completion. Our personal sanctification is part of a cosmic makeover. Of a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, a holy city, and a bride prepared by God. Prepared by God. Let's go to our text. I'm sorry, I'll be commenting on verse 1 and 2. But then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. I want you to know right now, there are some thoughts on this new heaven and new earth, on Christian thinkings over the last 2,000 years, the theologians, the scholars, what is it, what it's not. But the best interpretation and what we hold here that we truly believe is the clearest, it's not a second earth. It's not some some kind of second heaven. The heaven here is not God's abode. It's the universe. It's 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 everything that's above our atmosphere. That's that's what he's saying here. It's the whole universe. So we're gonna have a, a new heaven and a new new universe. It's not a second heaven. It's not a, a, a second earth. It's it's a, a it's a finished redoing of this earth. And that's the point I want to make. And I made it last week that. Uh, we don't live in some sort of ethereal, uh, uh, disembodied spirits roaming around the, 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 the universe somewhere. You know, we, don't, we can't see, we can't hear, we're just floating around. No, we're going to be on terra firma. Heaven will be a new earth. There will be ground. We won't float. There won't be telepathic communication. We will see, we will speak, we will hear, we will walk. Are you with me? The legs God gave us, the eyes God gave us, the mind he's given us, that that doesn't go nowhere. It's perfected. Every faculty, every sense of the human body will be perfected and be used in ways unimaginable. I can't tell you more than that. But all I know, our senses will be intact. Touch, 
taste, hearing, sight, all will be intact. It will be used on a new earth. Yes, a new earth. Will there be trees? I believe so. Will there be rivers? I believe so. Will there be flowers? I believe so. I believe the beauty will be there. How? I cannot tell you. Will the lion and the lamb lay down together and be shepherded by a child? Yes, it will be. How? I don't know. I can't imagine it. I receive it by faith the way you do. The Bible is telling me something in highly symbolic form of what's going to take place on the new earth. There is continuity and discontinuity within the new earth. Just like us, as Paul talks about the glorified body, he, does, he can't tell you what it's going to be like. He says it's just a seed. And when we die, we, a seed goes in the ground. But when God calls us forth in our resurrected body, it will have a continuity to this body, but it's going to be magnificently and gloriously better. No arthritis, I can't wait. No sinus issues, I cannot wait. I don't know what it is not to have sinus problems. I don't know what it means not to have a headache. All the time, I wake up, I go to bed with a headache. It's constant. But I can tell you now, that's what heaven's going to be like. That is part of it. And that's what the new earth is going to be like. There will be a continuity to this earth, but it is going to be so much gloriously better. And the reason for this, why some theologians believe that's not what it's going to be, there's going to be this whole new thing, there's going to be a city floating around in the air, uh, there'll be an earth, there'll be a new Jerusalems up there, and people are going to be translated back and forth, and they get into this sort of science fiction and I'm, I'm, it's hard enough to follow Revelation, never mind some of this teaching. I'm like, it's big enough, chapter 21, this is getting worse. But it's important for us to understand that there'll be continuity. It's more than resembling. It'll be perfected. This earth, because God created it good. And God's not, he's going to destroy it. He's going to destroy the simple part of this. But understand something. He's going to perfect that which he created very good. And it's for a purpose. He goes on to say here, and the sea was no more. Kind of, in, uh, kind of mysterious, and the sea was no more. And you can get all sorts of fanciful uh, definitions of that. But the simple definition is this. The sea in book, the book of Revelation and in Jewish thought and even uh, mythological thought understand something always represented evil. So when John wrote this in about 90 AD, he's dealing from a Jewish perspective. Uh, the mythology that was saturated in, in the first century uh, 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 Mediterranean world. And when he says the sea was no more, they understood that. The first century readers were understood that right away. That evil was finally put to rest. There's no evil. There's no separation between us and God anymore. There's no more evil forces. Because the, the mythological world believed that the evil forces lived where? In the ocean. What came out of the ocean? The beast came out of the ocean. So we see this cut of uh, these themes playing, but for, for our all intent and purpose, the sea was no more, only refers to no more evil. That's a good thing, isn't it? Amen. Verse 2, he goes on to say this, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her, her husband. You know, to understand so much of the book of Revelation, and even what we're going to speak about in verse 2 here, we have to really understand some of the Old Testament history and what this all stood for. 
And as we go into understanding our own faith, we have to be sort of historians of the Jewish faith. And it's important that we understand that. Otherwise, we're going to miss the nuances. We're going to miss the beauty, uh, the, the elegance, the symmetry of our faith between the two Testaments. Old Testament Judaism, it, uh, Jerusalem, I should say, it stood for the ideal. The ideal manifestation of God with his people. And later on, as we go through these chapters, we're going to recognize that he marries this with the Garden of Eden, Eden in, in Revelation, I mean in Genesis chapter 3. And he marries the two. It's not just Jerusalem. All of a sudden, the new earth resembles a new Jerusalem, a holy city, a bride. It resembles the garden. It resembles the, the tree of life is there. The, the river of life is there. And we have all these themes converging on one reality, not several realities, one reality. And the reality is this, God and his people. Are you with me? God and his people. Living in harmony and unity with one another. Does it sound like the fulfillment of something? What's the first two commandments? What's the commandments we live by? Love the Lord God, all your heart, sing, soul, mind, and love your... That's what's going on. It, there's a fulfillment, a literal fulfillment of this. And that's what the New Jerusalem it, it, it represents. People faithful to the covenant of Moses. Jerusalem was always meant to be faithful to the covenant of Moses. As they worship the one true God, not like all the other pagan gods, all the other cities of, of, uh, of the Chaldeans and the Babylonians and the Persians and the, and the Philistines, all those cities were, they, they, they represented uh, Babylon, the great whore. That's, that's what it was, spiritual Babylon. And that's what they represent. But there was one pure city where God resided. It was Jerusalem. And why was he in Jerusalem? Because there's something else in Jerusalem. Do you remember what was in Jerusalem? The temple. And what was in the temple? The Holy of Holies. And what was in the Holy of Holies? But the Ark of the Covenant that represented God with his people. And what was over the Holy of Holies? But the mercy seat. And that represents the atonement of Jesus Christ. And what was over the mercy seat? But the Shekinah glory of God. So when we see this new Jerusalem, what we're seeing, we're seeing the final fulfillment of what Israel is supposed to be on this earth. But they just failed absolutely miserable. The prophets that were sent to them couldn't heal them. Instead, they stoned them. And they killed the prophets. As Jesus says, Oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, if you knew the time of your visitation, if you knew the time of your visitation, you would recognize that Messiah had come to you, but you're too busy killing those God sends to you. The city represents not a scattered people, but a concentrated people. And a consecrated, concentrated people. People weren't living off over here. There was such harmony and such unity and such joy, festive joy and festive gathering. Like you want to be with people. I experience God when I'm experiencing the love of God and other people. I can't live in my own little corner of the world and feel the love of God. What does that mean? We're meant to do it together. As Jesus says, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until I drink it in the kingdom of God with all of us. 
what's represented in this new, this holy city, this sinless city, this sanctified city, this new Jerusalem is nothing but the ideal expression of God's love with his people. And God's people's love for one another. You can't get away from it. You can never get away from the second commandment. If Jesus says these are the two great commandments, you cannot get away from it. It will be fulfilled. Jerusalem is more than just walls. God doesn't care about walls. He cares about us. Cathedrals, he he, he could care less. Gold, precious stones, it's symbolic of something much greater than material objects and, and leisure and luxury and wealth. It's about people. It's always been about people. Heaven's about people. God's people. Blessed, the woman told Jesus, are the breasts that nursed you. Oh, no, woman. Not the breast that nursed me. Blessed are all those who know the will of God and do it. Who's my mother? Who's my brother? But those who do the will of God in heaven. That's my mother. That's my brother. That's the holy city. That's the new Jerusalem. That's the bride adorned as a husband, a bride adorned for her husband, coming down prepared by God. We want heaven to be the Irish Catholic section and the the, the Protestant Washi section over here, and then we got the African uh, contingency over here, and then we got we got the salsa tango Spanish section over there. I, I like it all, but understand something: it has nothing to do with that. We're all there. The healing of the nations are represented there. Ethnicity at its best and at its purest is represented there. It's not your little corner of heaven and my little corner of heaven. It's God's heaven and we're his bride and we're going to enjoy it together forever. But the old city failed greatly. That's why we need a new one. Adam failed greatly. That's why we needed the second Adam. The old man failed greatly. That's why we needed a new man. The old creation failed. That's why we're called new creations. It failed. But this one doesn't. Now by God's grace, and His grace only, the new Jerusalem, the holy city, the bride of Christ, comes down from heaven. It's a picture of pure grace. Coming down, prepared by God. God's plan comes to pass. All the redeemed from the Old Testament, all the way to the last saint that will be saved, is coming down. Chosen by God, called by God, kept by God, prepared by God, and now for the first time, Revealed by God himself. Proud display of his bride for his son. Coming down from heaven prepared by God. John is overwhelmed by the vision. He's overwhelmed by what he's seeing. He can't believe what he's re- what God is allowing him to see. He, God's good work in salvation and sanctification 
is now coming down from heaven. What looked like a red tag team of losers while they were on earth, drunkards, prostitutes, thieves, murderers, fornicators, crackheads, adulterers, the lonely, the forgotten, the left behinds, the poor in spirit, the Bible calls overcomers. They see us with our Bibles, they see us saying hallelujah, they see us with our sin, they see us with our failures, but they don't see that we're overcoming because we never lost our faith in Christ. We did never deny Christ while we were persecuted through the storms of life. We held on to Christ. That's who the Holy Spirit. The world can't recognize. The, the world comes in here and looks at it. We look like a bunch of losers. They got their Bible, their silly gospel songs. They don't see the work of God. They don't see that God. You see God preparing people in heaven. He's preparing people now for every sermon, every prayer, every time we take the body and the blood, every time we call each other and encourage each other with the word of God, every time we love one another and we care for one another and we confess our sin and we confess our dependence on God and our need for God. In seed form. The world's not going to get to see the beauty of what John is seeing. We see it. I'm a pastor. I see it all the time. Sat with a person, me and John, sat with someone the other day. 25 years. 25 years of crackhead. With no hope. Bipolar at the same time. Came to church one day. Never left. The word of God and only the word of God saved her and changed her. Period. Never touched the drug again. That's the word of God. Prepared by God. Do you see yourself prepared by God? Can you recognize the hand of God preparing us? Now revealed Please don't miss this. Adorned for her husband. God now revealed how God has always saw us in Christ. I know it's hard for you and me to see each other as perfect, but God only sees perfect. Period. I know it's hard for me and you to look at each other and see perfect, but Paul warns us we, know, we don't know anybody according to the flesh anymore. We don't even know Christ according to the flesh anymore. Though we once did, we're all what? New creations, he said. Now God reveals his church, his bride, the way he's always sought them in Christ. Spotless. Perfect. A perfectly Blood brought bride for his son. As Isaiah says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of God to put him to grief when Christ's soul would make an offering of guilt. And oh, what a perfect guilt offering it was. Just look at the power of the blood. Behold the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful, radiant, spiritual bride, spiritual virginity. Not drunkards, not prostitutes, not crackheads, not losers, not the disenfranchised, but the radiant, 
beautiful bride of Christ. Period. Adorned with virtue, humility, and faithfulness. Adorned with love and beauty. The greatest of these is love. And a longing expectation to see the bridegroom. And this extraordinary inner beauty of virtue is only fitting for such a wonderful bridegroom like Christ the Son. How could God do anything less than perfect in us? He's going to give us to His Son. He's already given us to the Son. How can He now give us all things? If He did not spare His own Son, Paul says, how will He not give us all things in and through Christ? Who himself is holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sins, and exalted above the heaven, as the writer of Hebrews says. Who purposely came to save from the uttermost this once lost bride. And if you know Revelation 19.7, and now the party of the marriage supper of the Lamb can begin. And oh, what a party it's going to be. I want you to go home and read Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 19 for next week. I want you to read it. Think about the party. Don't read it now. I see people going to the Bibles. But the party begins. I'm going to speak on some application. Sometimes we can lose just the grandness of what God has done for us in Christ. We can be weighed down by our own failures. I, I know there's very few failures represented in this room. I'm looking at some perfect saints in here, and one honest one. Bless God. We have to be reminded every day just how radically in love God is with us. We have to. It's the only antidote to our failures, our consistent, miserable inconsistencies in our heart there's only one answer don't make a promise to God whatever you do, you can't keep them go to God and say God I don't understand it but I know you're radically in love with me and you're not finished with me thank you, that's all I need that's the only thing the Bible holds out to us and God will do the rest how glorious this all sees can you imagine this this bride from all the redeemed, from the Old Testament and the New Testament, all coming down out of heaven, prepared by God Himself. That's the whole work of the cross, and that's the whole work of the Holy Spirit in sanctification, and when we die, it's glorification. That's all attributed to the Son and to the Spirit of God. Prepared by God from the foundations of the world. But like I said, it's hard for us to see, but it's in seed form. As I told you, when I stood before the ex-crack addict who loves God now, just by hearing the word, that's the bride being prepared. I see here, yeah, I see a lot of other stuff, but I see the genuine work of God. And we would be more apt to believe this, and we'd be more quick to receive it, and we would be more quicker to praise God for it if we took the time to see the genuine preparation of God in the lives of other saints now. We've got to train ourselves. We have to train ourselves to make sure 
we're just not too quick to see all the fairies in each other's lives. Application. Remember? Because that's easy. That's easy. But God doesn't see that. God sees a bride prepared. And so should we. We need to be so quick to arrest every negative thought we have towards a brother and a sister in Christ. That doesn't mean what we see isn't real. Are you with me? But it has to get filtered through the loving, merciful, compassionate, patient love of God. It has to. It has to. Otherwise, I'll read chapter 21 and know he had something about a bride. Something about a new heaven and new earth. I'll leave that to, to, to the thinkers. I'll leave that to the poets. I'll leave that to the dreamers. I'll leave that to the visionaries. No. If you can genuinely see the work of God now in someone's life, you can appreciate this chapter and let it bring you to tears. I'm a blessed man. I see this all the time. I can see it. I love to train my mind by God's grace to first and only see the work, the genuine work of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. That's all I want to see. It's my prayers. It's everything. It's on that. It's based on that. I can have compassion. I can have mercy. I can have grace. That's all I want to see. I don't care how little the fruit is. That's all I want to see. And then with that proper attitude, if when I see the peripheral stuff, because the negative stuff in our, in our personalities and the ongoing sin, struggle with sin, and, 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 and this one and that one, the impatience and everything else, I can deal with that in a perfect and an understanding way when I keep my eyes on the genuine work of the Holy Spirit. As soon as I take my eyes off the genuine work of the Holy Spirit, you all become nuisances to my life. That was a joke. Husbands and wives will hate one another. If you don't see the... Ge- oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Husbands and wives. Christian husbands and wives. We're great at seeing all the peripheral stuff. And very slow to see the genuine work of the Holy Spirit. Come on, man. It's real. It's okay. It's application. We have to train ourselves. God's preparing a bride. Not then. Every Sunday, every Sunday, every Monday, every Bible study, every confession of sin, every tear of remorse, every praise of a testimony, every witness of the gospel, every time God is preparing a bride for himself. Let's see that work in each other, amen? Let's see each other the way God sees us. And I think we really rejoice. Let's train our minds. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this magnificent picture of a bride adorned for a husband, a bride that was filthy with every sin. This room is represented with just about every sin, God. I thank you for the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away every stain so that in your eyes, Father God, we look like a bride adorned for the bridegroom Christ. I can't fathom your mercy in my life, God. I cannot fathom it. But God, I accept it. I joyfully, with tears in my eyes, I accept your grace, God. 
I don't know why you chose me, but you did. You chose us, God. I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, God. I love them. I love to see the work of grace in their hearts. As we recognize the peripheral stuff, as we recognize the splinters in each other's eyes, Father God. I, I, I love you, Lord. Let us love one another, Father God. Let us truly live out the new Jerusalem, the holy city at Sunship Ministries. In Jesus' name.